0: in just the past few months, as everyone's focus turned toward managing through volatility in markets in the wake of our current crisis, and thinking about a public health crisis, we sort of expected that climate might be put a little bit on the back burner and we've seen absolutely the contrary in that in talking with clients, we see a growing recognition that it's important that they understand and quantify climate risk and understand how these kinds of non-traditional financial events could have a really material financial impact.
1: Welcome to The Bid and our mini-series, Sustainability, Our New Standard, where we explore the ways that sustainability and climate change in particular will transform investing. Earlier this year, BlackRock announced a series of changes regarding sustainability, launching new products that increase access to sustainable investing, building sustainable portfolios ourselves, and increasing transparency in our investment stewardship activities. As part of this announcement, we also made a commitment to use data to better understand environmental, social, and governance risks. Today, we'll speak to Mary Catherine Later, head of Aladdin Sustainability and regular moderator of The Bid, and Trevor Hauser, partner at Rhodium Group, where he leads the energy and climate practice. BlackRock and Rhodium Group recently announced a partnership for data on the physical impact of climate change. We'll talk about the advances in climate data, how this impacts investor portfolios, and what that means for company behavior in the future. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. We hope you enjoy. MC and Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today on the bid.
0: Thank you for having me, Oscar.
2: Thanks, Oscar. It's great to be here.
1: Well, I have to start there, MC. The truth is, you're usually moderating the podcast, and today you're a guest. So, how does it feel?
0: Well, I would much rather be the person asking the questions, but I am still delighted to be here with you today, Oscar.
1: I think you have maybe a little bit more pressure on your side today than you usually do. So the reason you're a guest, by the way, is that in your day job, you actually lead the Aladdin sustainability efforts. Trevor, you had Rhodium Group, which is an independent research provider for both the public and private sectors. BlackRock and Rhodium have recently announced a partnership. So I'd like both of you to talk a little bit about what that partnership entails.
0: At the beginning of this year, we said that climate risk is an investment risk. And the challenge is that it's really difficult to quantify that and make it actionable. And that's because there's limited data and very few tools that can make that data useful for investors to understand what exactly is the climate risk associated with their portfolio or a certain asset. And then very difficult to make that integrated in your investment process and relevant. So, What BlackRock, through our financial technology platform, Aladdin, and Rhodium, who is really years ahead of anybody else in combining climate science with big data and economic research, what we hope we can do together is translate climate scenarios and climate impact into financial impact and help investors understand how different climate scenarios would affect a given investment. That sounds reasonably simple, but frankly, nobody's done it so far.
2: The only thing I'd add to what MC said is from our perspective at Rhodium, we've spent the past seven years taking advantage of new types of research, new computing tools to be able to provide really actionable information on climate risk and data that we think at scale has the ability to shift capital markets in a way that makes our economy more resilient and sustainable over the long term. And what we're looking for was a partner to help us apply that research at scale in a way that could really have that transformative effect.
1: So when we talk about climate risk, I mean, I think of hurricanes, wildfires, we all watch the news and we all see the manifestation of climate risk in many ways. But how exactly do we measure physical climate risk? I'm curious what goes into the analysis.
2: Yeah, it's a great question hurricanes are not new, wildfires are not new, heat waves are not new. But as releases of greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere increase, it's increasingly clear that the frequency and severity of those weather events is growing. And that creates significant risks to individual communities, businesses, investment portfolios, and entire economies. So when we're talking about climate risk, that's what we're referring to is the increased frequency and severity of a range of extreme weather events due to warmer temperatures in the atmosphere.
1: And MC, you touched on investment risk being a big part of this equation. And one of the things that has been talked about here this year is, again, climate risk representing an investment risk. So how do we take the measuring of that climate risk and translate it into investment portfolios?
0: What Rhodium really does is take climate models and macroeconomic research and combine those to create damage functions and model out the financial impact of given scenarios. But the impact is really different depending on different asset classes. So you can imagine that for those assets that are oriented around a physical location, like a mortgage-backed security or a municipal bond or a utility stock, for example, where the value is vulnerable to the physical environment surrounding that asset, that you can model the potential changes in the temperature and you have data that indicates what happens in that particular location when temperatures rise or fall. And you can come up with a proxy for how the value of a home or the creditworthiness of a municipality might change based on those events. What we're also working on is quantifying that for corporate securities, So how do you think about the impact on revenue? How do you think about the impact on operating expenses for a company with a global footprint, for a company that may not have totally physical assets? And so part of what we're trying to do together is think about the right methodology to approximate the impact of climate change on corporate operations around the world. But in short, it's not
2: easy. So maybe let me take a specific example and we can walk through the entire process of how we do this research and then how BlackRock is applying that. So let's take two places, a agricultural community in southern Illinois and a suburban neighborhood in southern Florida. So to understand how climate change could impact the local economies and individual assets in those two places, we start by collecting model output from these large climate model researchers around the world that develop these sophisticated what are called general circulation models to project how increased concentrations of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere change temperature, precipitation, hurricane activity, sea level rise, etc. We take that model output and we downscale it to a local level to understand how these changes globally are manifesting in Southern Illinois or in suburban Miami. And out of that, we get information about how the days above 90 degrees are increasing or how the frequency of extreme precipitation events or the frequency of Cat 5 hurricanes are increasing. So that's hazard information. Then what we need to do is quantify the impact that those changes in climate, have on a local economy. We, six years ago, realized that to give people actionable information about the impacts of climate change, where they live, where they work, where they invest, you needed to combine two disciplines. You needed to combine climate science with econometrics. If you tell an investor your building is going to have 10 more days a year above 95 degrees, That's not actionable information. What does that actually mean in terms of the operational costs of my building or the value of my building? Fortunately, there's enough variation just in normal weather that we have this rich empirical data set about what a day above 95 degrees or what a Category 5 hurricane does to economies and individual assets. So our team combs through terabytes of historical weather data and historical economic data to identify these statistical relationships. And those are the damage functions that MC mentioned. Since we've had 105-degree days in the past in Southern Illinois, we know what 105-degree day does to corn yields in Southern Illinois. Since we've had Category 5 hurricanes in the past in suburban Miami, we know what a Category 5 hurricane does to property values or to local economies in Southern Florida. And so we take all that rich historical information and we create these econometric models, and then we apply those to projections for how days above 95 degrees or frequency of Cat 5 hurricanes is going to change in the future under different emission scenarios.
0: And so, Oscar, when we say that climate risk is investment risk, you now have enough extreme weather events to have some indication as to what the financial impacts of these non-financial activities, events may be. So if you think about what we're living through right now with COVID-19 and a pandemic, if you could have said, well, here's the sort of economic and then financial impact When this parts of the city are shut down or when these things happen, I think that illustrates that what we think of as today, maybe not immediately material and typical financial analysis actually is extremely important in understanding the risks inherent in portfolios and investments. And so that's what we're trying to do with climate risk.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating, Trevor, to hear you talk about data that relates to climate and weather and the environment, and then following the thread of how it impacts the economy. And then, MC, you had mentioned earlier that this then has very practical implications for an investor. So, inherent in that response is that you think data is a game changer when it comes to helping investors think about how to invest in a sustainable manner.
0: I mean, you could argue that sustainable investing is data-driven investing that sustainability as an approach is defined by data, right? It's not like equity or fixed income where you have contractual terms that determine a set of cash flows or what happens in certain events. Instead, what sustainable investing is, is observing and measuring the behavior of corporations or the potential behavior of certain assets and to try and quantify them, to catalog that over time, and to then draw conclusions about which companies or which assets you think might perform better under certain risk scenarios, whether that's climate or who have better governance practices or stakeholder management, labor practices that have been demonstrated over time to deliver better returns or reduce risk. So in short, I mean, data is critical to being able to understand the sustainability of a portfolio. And I think it really actually defines the entire investing strategy. That's part of why we're seeing this rise of sustainable investing now is because in 2013, for example, we had less than 20% of the S&P 500 reporting their actual sustainability related data. And now you have over 80%. And not only do you have more companies, more big companies doing that, but you have them more than doubling the number of data points that they're sharing. And then we also have some convergence around a few increasingly dominant disclosure frameworks that are indicating how a company should gather that data, how they should measure it, and the like, that's creating some degree of standardization. Still not enough. There's still real divergence between different sustainability metrics, but that at least proliferation of data is allowing more and more investors to have confidence that they can understand with some credibility whether a company's behaviors are more sustainable or not.
2: So there's a few developments over the past few years that have made this kind of research possible at scale. The first is that the global climate models have, through the Work of hundreds of thousands of person hours around the world at research institutions that range from the Hadley Center in the UK to NASA and NOAA here in the US. Global climate science has just improved a lot. And so the ability of the scientific community to estimate how changes in emissions impact climate at a local level has really improved. The second, and equally important, is this explosion in big data econometric research that allows us to, for the first time, understand how those changes in the climate impact economic activity, impact markets at a local level. And then the third innovation is the rapid decline in the cost of scalable cloud computing. We are analyzing daily temperature, precipitation, storm activity at a hyper-local level all around the world, for decades into the future. And it's an incredibly computationally intensive exercise. And just three or four years ago, the scale of the computing required would have put this kind of research out of reach for even a midsize research institution like Rhodium. But innovation in cloud computing and in econometrics have really made that possible now at
1: scale. When you think about it in your space, in climate data, where are we In what inning are we in? Do you feel like there is still more an explosion of data to come going forward?
2: I would say that the climate science data, so models that project changes in temperature and precipitation and sea level rise, they're probably in the seventh inning. And the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the scientific coordinating body published their first assessment report in the mid-1990s and have updated that science every five to six years since. Translating that climate data into economic outcomes, we're only in the second inning. That's really the new frontier of research and what's required to make changes in the climate relevant to individual people, investors,
1: and economies as a whole. So that's actually a good segue because that makes me wonder what has the demand been like for the data in this space? It seems like you mentioned that maybe just more recently people are starting to understand how the data you collect around the climate has investment implications. Is that now causing an increase in demand for this data as opposed to a few years ago? Yeah, so we've definitely seen a step function
2: change in interest in and demand for climate risk data over the past couple of years. And I think that's due to a couple of things. The first is, up until the 2017 hurricane and wildfire season, we had been in a period of relatively low hurricane activity in the U.S. And then in 2017, obviously, there's Hurricane Maria, Irma, and Harvey. 2018 was also a large hurricane season. Those occurred alongside record wildfire seasons in California and occurred alongside a big report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in the fall of 2018. And the combination of those extreme weather events, advances in the science, and I think what had already been a growing level of interest and awareness among investors really led to a tipping point in demand for climate risk information that the investment community and MC probably has any better perspective on this than I do. I think it, that was really the point for the investment community. Climate risk started to move from just being one more element of your ESG strategy to really a core element of your risk management approach. MC, do you think that's right?
0: Definitely. And I mentioned this before, but I think it's really true in just the past few months, as Everyone's focus turned toward managing through volatility in markets in the wake of our current crisis and thinking about a public health crisis. We sort of expected that climate might be put a little bit on the back burner, and we've seen absolutely the contrary in that in talking with clients, we see a growing recognition that it's important that they understand and quantify climate risk and understand how these kinds of non-traditional financial events could have a really material financial impact.
1: MC, just to kind of continue down that path, I mean, obviously, the partnership announced between BlackRock and Rhodium is a strong vote of confidence. You want to say that BlackRock really views the data and the analytics that Rhodium produces as very valuable to the investment decision-making process. So how does BlackRock plan to use that data in the terms of managing portfolios?
0: So – two things. One, we're using it ourselves in our investment process as an asset manager. So our portfolio managers can run their own analysis as they build portfolios. But two, we're building a product called Aladdin Climate that is a software application that will allow any of the clients of Aladdin Climate to better understand those risks, the risks of the physical impacts of climate change that Trevor talked about, as well as risks associated with transitioning to a lower carbon economy. So it's not like just calculating duration, or it's not like calculating something that everyone knows what the formula is and you kind of know how to interpret and digest that information as you make decisions. And you think that at this stage, it's important to allow investors to interact with the data a little bit more and to understand what the assumptions are to make their own assumptions. And so that's why we're building this product.
1: And so how do you think the data set or what is available for investors to make decisions around sustainable investing? How will that change in the next five to 10 years? And what aren't we measuring today that you think we will be able to measure in the future?
0: I think it's going to accelerate rapidly from here. And that increased attention and focus is going to increase scrutiny on the data that drives determination of sustainable investments. And I think that will put that much more pressure on asset managers to make sure that they can deliver credible products and then asset managers to put pressure on companies. That's one dimension of it, just sort of growing demand, I think is going to increase the data that's released and produced. The other is that there are more and more ways to gather information about companies. What do we not measure today? There are some things that we measure, but just not well today, for example. So like how a company manages their employee satisfaction, for example, what elements of that are important? Is it elements of compensation? Is it retention? Is it certain practices that deliver productivity that can drive out performance? We don't really have the best way of measuring and capturing that today. That's one example.
1: So Trevor, it's clear that investors benefit from being more informed around climate risk as they think about building more resilient portfolios. But speak about the broader societal benefits of having more information about climate risk and how you think companies will adapt going forward as a result of this.
2: So first, there's the more proactive companies and capital markets are in thinking about and understanding the ways in which the climate is changing and what it means for their own business or for their local economy, the more successful they're going to be in mitigating the damage done by future changes in the climate, whether that's by optimizing supply chains, investing in more resilient infrastructure, reducing their emissions footprint, and at a broader level, the more effective that companies and investors are in preparing for and mitigating future climate risk, the less risk it presents to the economy overall.
0: Look, we talk about portfolio resilience, Oscar, all the time. I know you do. And that's part of what's motivated our entire shift to sustainability as a standard. And also our dialogue with companies through investment stewardship that We think it's critical that management teams are clear and transparent about what they're doing to manage for these potential scenarios. And so, for those reasons, we absolutely anticipate the significant shift in capital allocation that Trevor alluded to.
1: MC and Trevor, we're ending each episode of our sustainability miniseries with one question to each of our guests. And that is, what was the defining moment that changed the way you thought about sustainability? That's a good question.
2: So, I think the one for me early in my career, I worked at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, and as an entry-level hire, one of my jobs was to track air quality and write a reporting cable back to D.C. on the quality of air in Beijing. And what I thought was going to be this fairly obscure task, it turns out that was one of the most closely watched cables leaving the embassy because it determined the level of hardship pay that foreign service officers working in Beijing received and as i looked at that air quality data coming across my screen every day and talking with the embassy doctor about what that meant for the health of the embassy staff let alone the health of 1.3 billion chinese citizens who were breathing that air on a daily basis it became clear how central Environmental protection and sustainability is to economic development prospects that you really have to address both together. And that if you don't, you're ultimately going to run up against serious constraints to growth. And I think that's even more true in the case of climate change that unless we address head on the risks of climate change and figure out how to move our capital markets and our economy in a more sustainable direction, then we're going to hit some real hard limits to growth and prosperity going forward.
0: So my first job out of college was doing renewable energy investing. But one of the things I had to work on was we were experimenting with emissions reductions at coal plants, which are kind of controversial, and many people would argue that they don't really work. We were investing in a few different projects to try. And one of the things I had to do was go down to these coal plants, mostly in Missouri, and monitor the application of chemicals that were intended to reduce emissions and make sure that the tests all went properly. And as I was educating myself on basic facts about this coal plant, it hit me that this one plant had the energy output, it was a multiple of our entire renewable energy portfolio that had been constructed over several years. And I think that's when it hit me that this would be a very long road. Well, it is nearly 15 years later, and so it has been kind of a long road. Where we are today in terms of the mainstream demand for sustainable behaviors from corporations and for understanding the impact of climate on the economy is a world away from where we were then.
1: Well, I think it's clear from this conversation, and MC, you touched on this, that this is no longer a niche topic. It very much is mainstream, the topic of sustainable investing. And listening to both of you talk, it's clear that you're both passionate about this. So thank you so much for joining us on The Bid. Thanks, Oscar.
0: It's been a total pleasure.
3: This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, U.K. Limited. Authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Registered Office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, plus 44-020-7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 202-0394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management, UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000 n In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management, North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523-BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell, or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide available at www.blackrock.com/mx. Copyright 2019 BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.